Player King, Episode 2, I Bear a Charmed Life. In Episode 2, High School Drama Programs, The Power of Ensemble, and Devastating College Theater Reviews. Another guy came in who was an English teacher, but he also had a drama background, and he was from the University of Redlands. And he cast me as Macbeth. And he brought in somebody f- who had gone on to be a professional actor who was coaching me. And all of a sudden, I had done, by now I had done, I had done The Matchmaker and played Horace Vandergelder in a full three-act, four-act play. It was terrible. But again, I got all kinds of accolades and, and, and feedback on it. But he cast me as Macbeth. He brought in the professional. And all of a sudden, I got on stage and I started feeling things. Mm. And you were aware of it. And I was aware of it. And I was aware of the fact that I could show anger and show emotions that I was not allowed to show in my Mm. normal life. And that the stage was a safe space to do basically whatever I wanted to do. And I understood that it wasn't then about the audience applause. It was about the spiritual essence of being able to express yourself as a human being in front of other human beings in a unique way. And I don't think anybody else got that, but I got it mm-hmm. at the time. And it it became the basis. And, and then I knew what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And it was through this, it, it what we didn't do the full play, but we did the major speeches and some of the major, you know, the witches scene and all of that stuff. And all of a sudden, this humanity started to manifest itself. And I started to realize that the stage was a safe space for me. And it became very emotional about it. And I, even my stepfather who came and saw it, his, his praise to me was, you have a gift for gab. Which was this, which was a this saying of being able to be in front of people and speak, that that it was like a talent or a gift that had been given me, the gift of gab, uh, which I'll never forget. And even he recognized that I had some innate ability in this that would feed me later on. Now he didn't understand that. He didn't, he wasn't about to admit that theater was going to feed me. He wanted me to, he didn't even want me to go to college, which is another story. But this Macbeth incident was seminal to my understanding, my need to communicate and theater. Then music then became really secondary and far away. And theater became my primary artistic Point of expression. I watched the tears in your eyes when you talk about this, and it it makes me think about. I mean, especially with people saying to you, "You have the gift for gab." There's no context at at that time in the educational system, and in fact, the world we were living in, there was no context for nurturing that kind of creative spark that you had, and. When we talk about coming from working class backgrounds, there's a sense of being a survivor as a creative person that I think you and I share because we kept, and many of us from this generation share because we kept, we found that fire and then kept building on it, kept kept breathing. You were the only one breathing oxygen into that fire once you found it. And I see 
that person that breathed the oxygen into the fire, I see that in the tears in your eyes as you're talking about it today. You know, and I think it's something that people who aren't in the arts may, maybe don't understand, you know, that, that, you, that it, you are a survivor. You kept that alive and you never stopped keeping that alive once you found it. Um, it, it I, I find that to be impressive, but also really important, um, especially knowing your story and the shared parts of our story, how, how, where that survivorness kind of comes out and flourishes and affects other people, you know, certainly in directing and certainly teaching. And yep. then the opportunities you give artists, performing artists. There was one other incident that happened that I, that I eventually, I think, think again, led me to producing and directing as opposed to acting was there was a club day and we never had anything like this in Catholic school, but there was a club day where all of the clubs at noon or after school or whatever would do little things to raise money for their club. And so there was a drama club, which were the thespians. They had a thespians. Well, no, it wasn't. It was a drama club at that time. It became thespians my junior year. So this is the year before going back. And so we put on skits, melodrama, and I got to act improv, basically, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dudley do right mm. kind of things. <laughs> it, it was really hokey and really hammy. And we created our, our set in a classroom and we'd go out and do these five or 10 minute skits and people would pay you know, a dime or 25 cents to come in and to watch us. Uh, and the building of the sets and the sense of working together as an ensemble, as a unit was thrilling to me. Mm -hmm. I, it was the most exciting thing. This was creating theater at its base, mm -hmm. but it was really exciting to be able to be involved in that. So, so that was the year before I did Macbeth. Macbeth was when I made the association to art, mm -hmm. that it was artistic, that there was, there was a spiritual connection. The showbiz factor was going back and doing these skits in, in, you know, and just having a blast and getting lost in it and being in the moment. And then it's an ensemble creating a product. And it's a it's collective you. of people, right? Yeah. And that was always the turn on to me. There was a that that there was a group of people because I always felt so isolated. There was a group of people that would come together and tell their stories in front of other people, and and it was a seminal moment of understanding this kind of storytelling. Now I I didn't understand it at that point that way, but eventually it came around to that's what it it became more sophisticated. This is. When people talk about how hammy we are and as performers and how and theater people, showbiz people, and how we need attention, I always bristle about that because I don't think that's the common chord. I think it's that sense of isolation. I, I think so many of us have that deep isolation and then we find our people, we find our tribe and and build something wonderful because it is wonderful. Like you articulated when you flip on the lights or people pay to see some skit, you know, it, it and they laugh. Everybody has a, a universal reaction together. Even as a kid, there's something human in that that you respond to, that you certainly responded to. I mean, you did it for your whole life. Yeah. It, and uh, 
and it was at that point where two things, uh, my first drama teacher went to Long Beach State and we went to a high school drama festival and I got a certificate. Again, so you weren't average. A pat on the back that mm -hmm. I did a good job, mm -hmm. right? I I was I was awarded a certificate of excellence in acting at the drama festival and I decided at that again, I'd never been to a college. My parents weren't into college. But I was going to go to Long Beach State. I decided at that time that that's where I was going to go. It's the only place I applied. And how I got in to this day, I don't know. Because my grades weren't very good. I, I scored high enough on the ACT exam to get me in. Did you have to audition at all? Was it? No, 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 no. Which is, I mean, we can, you know, the whole, I don't think the whole auditioning thing to get into a program yeah. really starts much later. Much later, yeah. I mean, they, you know, if you were male at that point and you were interested in theater, you were in pretty good shape. <laughs> you, you know, whether you were gay or straight, it didn't, didn't matter. matter. You no. were, you were, you know, I mean, it's where I met Larry Culp and, you know, et cetera. Well, and there was, like you said, there was no gay. I mean, you were a right. male. Right. So there so was no gay. The gayness was up to you to Gay negotiate. wasn't even a term as it related to then. It, yeah. it, it, it forms while I'm in college. Yeah. Because I'm, we're now, you know, as I decide to go to college, which my father fought, he didn't, they didn't think I was going to get in one. He said, well, you can go to a community college, but what you really need to do is be a lineman, ironically my biological father was a lineman for the Edison company. My dad, my stepfather was a bookkeeper for the Edison company. Linemen got paid more because one, they were out in the field and they were doing kind of dangerous work. So they got premium wages where the bookkeepers got basic wages. Um, although at the time, you know, you could raise a family on that wage yeah. and you could have a car and, etc uh and have some some amenities uh, unlike now where where you know the economy is such that nobody can make it by their own the average person can't make it but um yeah he didn't want me to go to college i was determined to go to college i knew that if i went to community college i probably wouldn't make it because of college or, or uh, make it in your career I wouldn't make it. I'd, okay. I'd end up in the streets and the it was in a no. gutter. Yeah. So my, that was in your gut. In your gut. Yeah. yeah. And my sh my shot was to get into this state school, which to me was big time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a large oh, yeah. institution. They had just changed their name to California State University. No, California State College at Long Beach. It was originally formed as a teaching college in 1949, and so they were called the 49ers. They had a, a 500 seat little theater, yeah, <laughs> and then this Quonset black box hut on another part of the campus. But to me, it was like paradise. Yeah. Now to allow my parents to let me go to college. I said I was going to major in music because they'd already invested in music and, and that made it okay. And they thought, well, maybe he'll, he'll, you know, he'll be a choir director or something. I immediately changed my major when I got into theater. I mean, I, I couldn't see doing anything else. I did take a music course, which was a theory course, 
I think I got a C in it. It was, you know, it was hard. Yeah. Music theory was hard. Uh, and so I immediately dropped that. Although I was in two operas as a freshman and I was, and as a sophomore, I was cast as a, a dancer, a lead dancer in this creation dance theater piece. The idea of being able to see in my mind's eye mm. scenarios and fantasies mm. because sitting still was pretty boring. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, it forced me to have to start dreaming awake and thinking about things awake and seeing things while I was awake. Now in college, did that make it feel like there was something real that you could attach all of this to something career-ish? Well, I didn't know it at the time. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking of myself now, I'm going to be an actor or but in reality, and, and this gets back to the way I was brought up, I had, I had to get a job. Well, the only job that I could get that I was aware of with a degree and with a fifth year of school was teaching. Mm. There was at the time a, a way, and it goes away not too long after this, mm. but I got a lifetime credential teaching high school theater from seventh to 12th grade. And then I got a, co a codicil or something that was attached to that, that I could also teach community college because I got a master's degree. So you got a BA and then you were there for an extra year to get the teaching? And, and I was actually there two years because I started teaching. Uh -huh. And so uh, it was going to take me two years to get my MA, uh -huh. which was mostly education classes uh -huh. with a thesis in theater and a couple of theater graduate courses that gave me my master's degree. However, dropping back into to my degree path, I thought, well, I'm going to be an actor, but the job I'm going to get is teaching. I was going to go on a teaching career. Now, I didn't understand this quite as an undergraduate, but, but it became very clear to me because, again, my parents, who were 19th century, when you became 18, you got kicked out of the house. Yeah. You're on your own. You're kid. on your own. Yeah. Now, I didn't get kicked out of the house because I was in college, so I was technically in school. But I was charged rent. And when I eventually graduated, that rent was my graduation present that got torn up. My, my room and board. And it was a couple thousand dollars for the two years that I was at home. And then I moved out with a bunch of guys. So they saved the that money for you? They didn't save any money. They billed me mm. for it. Now, the reason I bring this up is that I, I, was, I had to get a job. Well, the problem was, is that we did this in June as we got out of school. By the time we got back at the beginning of July, all of the, all of the jobs, all the temp jobs and stuff were taken. Well, I got a, I got a job delivering flowers. I, I, for, it was a dollar 15 an hour, dollar 10 or dollar 15 an hour. So, and I was working six days a week, 48 hours, and I had to make I had to give that money to my parents for, for room and board. I was allowed to keep a little bit of it to pay the hundred dollar or less tuition. I mean, I got through school because California at the time, mm -hmm. you could go to a public school without having to pay tuition. Yeah. And again, we're working class. I mean, my tuition, I think was $500 a semester and Look what we did with that. Um, it 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 allowed us then to, I think, pay back and and pay it forward. It, it was very fortunate. 
and I mourn the loss of it. Well, getting back into the, you know, here I'm in my, my getting my BA in theater. Yeah. I'm trying out for everything. I got from freshman year on. From you freshman were, year on, I was trying out for everything. Uh, I got cast in the spring semester in a four-hour production of The Seagull. Boy, I played. I played Sham Ryaf. I think I had twenty or thirty lines. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, one of the smaller characters. But I, got, I had lines. Um, I had played a couple of things in the fall as basically spear carriers and walk-ons. Um, there was very much a hierarchical structure and the seniors were going to get the leading roles and the freshmen were going to, you know, which changed my sophomore year when I got three leading roles, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and I was the BMOC. I was mm-hmm. the big man then, but my freshman year I was, I was paying my dues. So to sounds speak. like you were the BMOC in high school too. Oh yeah. Well, high school, but that was a smaller pond. Yeah. Yeah, I was. But yeah. as the pond got, I got bigger. the best actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I got most talented in my senior class, you know, those were things that all of a sudden I, I was getting recognition as yeah. a human being and I was succeeding in something. Even and then though you get I w- to a bigger level and you're succeeding there as well. And I'm passing most of my classes and I'm getting mm-hmm. good enough grades that I got me into college, good. right? In a yeah. public school where I didn't have a curriculum that was so regimented that yeah. I couldn't survive. So my, my freshman year of college was the intro classes and you took some tech classes. I loved all of that stuff. I, I, I took all of the tech classes. I took all of the intro classes. And um, I think we, we took a, a fundamentals acting class, which was basic Stanislavski. You know, it was the, uh, uh, what was the book? The McGaw book. Uh, acting is Believing. Acting is Believing. Mm-hmm. That was our text. And I, you know, and, and it was, you know, basic Stanislavski, emotional response, that kind of stuff. So Did it make sense to you? No. And good, no. me either. <laughs> no, I mean. I had no idea what they were talking I, about. I, I went, yeah, okay, okay. I, I get it, I get it, I get it. An and objective, then, And cool. I tried to figure it out and couldn't figure it out, you know. But I was getting roles anyway. So, I, and I was, I was, I was performing. And uh, um, <laughs> so the, the, the. I did Shamrai. I I remember this. I remember my mom came to see it. I don't remember my father coming to see it, but my mom came to see it. So my mom was my big supporter. I mean, she believed I could do anything. And and she was the she was the I mean, she's the one that had the affair that had me. <laughs> and she and she knew the the reason there was so much tension as a child was that even though I was named after my stepfather, I think he suspected at least that my brother was not his. So that created an incredible amount of tension. Now, I didn't know any of this at the time, but it, it, it all made sense when I found out that he wasn't my father. I was named after him, which was for my mom who couldn't drive at the time and didn't have a job to be kicked out under the street with a kid and, and evidently two kids. Um, now there was no divorce for Catholics at that time. You had to, you had to, you know, had to plead it to, to the Pope in Rome to be able to get a divorce, uh, at that time. So she was stuck there and I understand that she did what she needed to do to survive. And so I was named after him to cover this affair, ironically. So my, 
my name in in essence is a lie mm-hmm. which gets back to this you know finding the truth mm-hmm. you know where's the truth in what you're doing which Stanislavski talks about, mm-hmm. you know, emulating life. Mm-hmm. So I got that part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I understood that. It was the emotional response or triggering mechanisms. I got some of it, but I, it just didn't happen for me. I mean, it it was an intellectual process. You had to think and then respond. Now, later on, this it actually yeah. all, it makes sense. But as a 18-year-old college student, it didn't make sense. Well, especially for people like us who were had confusing connections to our emotional truth anyway and to the externalization of our emotional truth. It, 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 we needed to grow up and grow grow through that before we could even, I think, make sense of that kind of material. But well, you say your mom was like your big supporter. She was. In she, college. I mean, she, she was when I was sensed. a kid. My, <laughs> my, my dad was on my ass for something. I don't know what it was. And uh, it could have been anything. And so she got, took me out of school one day and there, there was, this is, again, this is back in grade school and took my organ books and there was a show on KHJ, which was channel nine in LA where it was like a talent show. And I don't remember the title of the show at the time, but there was, but there was at the time, or there was an organ that led into it. So she thought that they had an organ. So we took the buses into Los Angeles to the studios to audition. And when we got to the studio, they said, well, we don't have an organ here. And I couldn't play piano, really. I'd been trained on the organ and it's a totally different technique. So we went down there and I think she was deflated. I think we got ice cream and, and went to Clifton's cafeteria as a reward. And then we went home. But what it said to me at the time was that my mom believed in me. That was the important thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And even though my father was a skeptic, my, my mother put her faith in me. So anyway, getting back, we're doing, we're doing, uh, the seagull. We're doing it. The director who had just come from the Oregon Shakespeare festival, it was a new professor. So, uh, we, I, 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 glance out and there's my mom has fallen asleep <laughs> in the seagull in the seagull yeah. well and i don't blame her it was four hours long yeah. it was all um the oscar uh, the moscow art theater mm-hmm. that was the whole thing uncut four hours four acts long mm-hmm. and my mom god bless her fell asleep in it and i just kind of i was disappointed in my mom but i kind of understood nonetheless that it was a pretty boring play uh, and and we were doing plays that not necessarily the audiences loved, but they were for academic purposes, right? We did a play by Ugo Betty. My it was the first play I was in where I was a, I played one of the soldiers, and uh, it was called the Queen and the Queen and the Rebels. The woman who played the queen and ended up at the Ashland uh, in the early days. We really got. When I talk to students now, I I tell them my training is really mid-century American classical theater training. I mean, we we were trained in a way that people really aren't trained anymore. My first production was The Seagull um, in Mm. San Jose State and Constantine, and it was double cast. Oh my God. And the other, 
the other Constantine was from UCLA and had transferred to San Jose State. And there I was, this sophomore with nothing behind me. It, it was a very strange experience and a thrilling experience. But we did Thornton Wilder, Shakespeare, same thing, Chekhov. And the and the the technical training, I think, was also quite classical, quite from the 30s and 40s. Did yeah. you have that same kind of experience, like yeah. voice training, movement training? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But very old school. Yeah. Fall of my sophomore year, I got a major role in Bus Stop. I'm playing the sheriff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget it because the guy who directed it had launched Hal Holbrook on his one-man career. Mm -hmm. All right. So he's Hal Holbrook's directing teacher. Now, he was a guest, he was a guest professor, guest artist, uh, and he directed the, and, and to tell you how old school it was, because I was so fair, I couldn't grow stubble or you couldn't see it. So his, what he wanted the makeup people to do was to unroll cigarettes and then use spirit gum and put the cigarette, <laughs> the tobacco on my face for a beard because I was young and fair and stuff. And the campus had a newspaper, a daily newspaper, and the newspaper had a theater critic. I got my first review and it was devastating. And it said, uh, uh, Braddock plays the sheriff. It was phonier than a cowboy or something. And, and it just struck to my heart. It was my first negative review in relationship to, um, you know, I'd, all I'd gotten was pats on the back mm -hmm. up to that part. And now I was struggling, you know, trying, trying to, to make my Growing. name. Yeah. Did you get positive uh, reviews at that time? Do you remember? I'm sorry? Did you get positive reviews? I have uh, eventually, yeah, they stopped doing them. Mm. I, I think they stopped doing them, but I got, that was the first review I got. Can you and, quote the positive ones? Uh, uh, later on, I, I can quote some of them. It's just yeah. so funny that we can quote the negative ones. <laughs> they sear in. Yeah, like, like, well, Olivier, I think, said something to the effect, you know, that- the good reviews were never good enough and yep. the and the bad reviews were devastating. Yep. And I think that's the truth. You know, they're never good enough, but boy, the bad ones just tear mm -hmm. through you like a knife. Uh, because you're vulnerable up there. Yeah. And you're up there, you know, uh, and we'll get into this a little later. Uh, we lived and died by the critical, yeah. you know, those those, those shows. It, it, it meant... It meant twenty five. We got a good review in the LA Times. It, it meant twenty five thousand, thirty thousand dollars at the box office in the next couple of weeks. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. And yeah. theater, as it exists today, is it's a different animal than that late twentieth century where where you lived and died by what the critics thought. Well, now they've got that instant response on their phone. I mean, the whole world is a critic. So, oh yeah. Player King is produced by Roland By, sound design, editing, and engineering by William Georges, directed, curated, and narrated by Elisa Braddock. The music was originally created for productions at Shakespeare Orange County. Mm -hmm.